Hello, everyone. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade. If you're Connor, I said four years old. <laughs> four years old through fourth grade. If you could walk up front, they'll take you to junior church. As David was just talking about, um, uh, Jesus' first recorded miracle was last uh, was earlier. We continue following Jesus through his earthly life. We're going to see how, and this is really critical, how Jesus interacts with people. How he talks to the spiritually lost. How he talks and interacts with the spiritually arrogant. How Jesus interacts with creation. How he responds to the whole crowds. Throughout his earthly life, we need to remember that Jesus was a Jew. Which means he would follow all the Jewish laws and rituals. He would have gone to the synagogues, the temples. He would have observed all the Jewish festivals, including the Passover. Today we're going to look at the first recorded Passover of Jesus' ministry. Now it's, it's the first one since he's been baptized, since he started his public ministry. The second one of his Passover is going to be in Luke 6, and his third one's in John 5. And then on the last one, he's crucified. On this one that we're looking at today, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifices uh, for this holy day. But before we can get into that, we need to understand what the temple was really like. Now, here's a picture of the temple. It's about 1,000 feet by 1,500 feet. It's around 35 acres of land completely in Jerusalem. This is not some little church, okay? And within the temple, so you can see all these different areas, there are different precincts or courtyards that surround the temple. Uh, if you could go to the next one. So here you can see that, that bigger area. You can see the big top hat looking thing. Um, that's the holiest of holies. And then, and then the priest court is right outside of that. You have the court of Israel or the court of men that were there. So only the priest could go further. The men had to stop there. Right below that, you can see the women's court. The women were allowed here except for on special um, celebrations. They would be allowed into the court of Israel. And so that's the main thing. And then there's this wall, the balustrade there. And outside of that, outside of that wall, is the court of Gentiles. It's the furthest one removed from the holiest of holies. The very center of the temple area, which is supposed to signify God's living, His dwelling with the people, His, His presence. And a high wall separated the court of Gentiles from the other courts. This is as close as they could come to God's presence. In fact, there were signs hung up on that wall that threatened death to any Gentile who went beyond their area. Can you imagine that? Okay, we're going to have just the holiest of all of our people in the front few rows. Okay, so nobody's listening to that one. Jen's up here. No, it's the third row. <laughs> and we're going to have all the outsiders. If you're from Hamilton, you have to sit in the back. I always pick Garrett, so I'm picking Hamilton this time. And if you come to the front row... We kill you. Isn't that a wonderful belief system? I mean, that's what the Jews were really doing. That's what they said because they had to be holy. 
that is the sign this, or the, the context of what we're going to look at. Now, have all that in mind, all of those different courtyards in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging for money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. I've heard sermons on this. I, I, many times in the past, this scripture has been used to stop people from selling things in the church. You can't have a rummage sale in the church because it turns the church into a, a marketplace. I've even heard some people say, you, can't have, you can have it in other parts of the building, but not the auditorium. Because we can't have it there. I was told when I was young, you cannot do school fundraisers here in the church because that turns this place into a marketplace. Is that what this scripture is about? What Jesus did was not so much clear the temple itself, but he cleared up the outer court, the temple or the, the Gentile area. What is the temple supposed to be? And that's what this really is. This is the cost of worship that we're going to be looking at. And the temple here was a place that was supposed to be of worship and prayer. But the atmosphere in the courtyard was more like a carnival or an auction. Imagine what it'd be like if we had worship service like the Gentiles had. There's no organ music quietly playing in the background, no choirs, there's, there's no people eating donuts. There's no good music here. It's just the sound of cattle and sheep and people haggling over prices. There's the flapping of pigeon wings and the smell of a barnyard. How many of you like that as church? When I was at a previous church, you raised your hand. Yeah, he wants to worship God in a barn. Yeah. When I was at a previous church, one of the guys came to church. Um, he had just been milking the cows, and it was during the time change, and you can't change times for the cows, so he just had to do it the normal. And he came to a little bit late to church, and his boots, they were nasty. He, had, he left them out in the front, and he came down and sat down, and there was two seats between us, and when we raised, stood up to shake hands, I made sure there was at least one more seat in between us because I could smell the cow manure so bad. I, I didn't like it, but that was wrong of me, right? He, he was there for a reason, but most people, they're not going to like that unless you're Jason. You're not going to want to sit there and, and have part of that. But the, the worst part is the fact that this whole thing happened in the court of Gentiles. This is the only place that they could come and worship God. These were people that were not born Jewish, but they have converted into the Jewish faith. And this was the only place that they could come in this area to worship. 
the Jews, they could come in and do all the things they wanted to do and then go and escape it all and go into their areas to worship God. And Jesus stood up to this part. He made his own people angry by standing with the outsiders. It's not that he was just clearing off people. He was making sure that everybody could come and worship God. Jesus annoyed the Jews by sticking up for the Gentiles inside the temple. Jesus is a rebel with a cause. He was socially revolutionary. And what's the problem? I, I noticed when I was reading through this and reading the commentaries, there are two main things about this that really applies to us. That tells us about worship. And, and they're going to seem completely opposite. First, this tells us worship is not meant to be too hard. Now, worship is a little hard to define at times. Someone has said that worship is the humble response of believers to God. It is based upon the work of God. It is achieved through the activity of God. It is directed to God. It is expressed by the lips of people in praise in life of service to God. Here's worship is what happens when a believer really sees God for who he really is. Worship happens when we truly can see God. It's not a matter of rituals and duties, although they can help tie into it at times. Worship is what happens in the heart and mind of a believer when we aim to let God know how much we appreciate Him. That's the basics of worship. And the Gentiles were trying to worship God. They may not have always gotten it right, but I don't know many of us who always get it right. But in the middle of this, the shopkeepers, the money changers, they were making it impossible for these Gentiles to worship. They were taking up room so that they couldn't come and worship God. These people were putting their wishes, their desires, and conveniences above other people. They were distracting and blocking people. And I wonder it, do we ever do that? It's just like I was doing to that, that farmer. Where is the temple today? We are. Jesus entered the actual physical temple, and then he calls himself the temple at the end of the passage. But further New Testament teaching says that we are the temple. He takes it from this physical thing to us. We are where God lives. We don't have to go anywhere to meet God. He is where we are. And over the years, people have fought over what the church building should look like and be for it and what they should not be for. People have argued over fellowship halls. They've argued over special singers coming in or selling merchandises in the church. I've seen people get upset because they had this group come in and everybody loved the music, but you can't sell your CDs here. You can do it in the parking lot. Because we don't want this to be a marketplace. And that's not what this is about. That's not what this passage is saying. This place that Jesus is doing is a building. The temple. This here is a building. God does not dwell in this building. When Paul was preaching to the people of Athens, he talked about temples. They had all these different temples in hopes 
that the various gods would live among them. Acts 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples, buildings built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God does not need a building. He does not dwell in this building. This is not God's house. Where does God, where does God truly live? Galatians 2.20 My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is the part that's been set apart. Jesus resides here, not in the walls. The building isn't holy. The building isn't sacred. You are. Each one of us is. Not, not because of what we have done, but because of what God is, and God is in us. This building, this building is God's house. You are God's house. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have joined it into Jesus through faith, confession, repentance, baptism, and walking in His truth, then you are the house of God. Now go back to that temple cleansing. I, I do want to say this. It doesn't mean we should disrespect this building. Not at all. This building has been given to, to God for the purposes of God. Unfortunately, though, many people care far more how the church building looks than how their heart looks. More people care about what they look like, what they're doing in church, rather than what their mindset, their attitudes, their heart is. People take care to reverence a building, but they let horrible things like gossip, bitterness, judging, and infest their own hearts. Now, which do you think God cares for more? A building that will one day burn up or your heart that was designed to last for eternity? Now, take that and go back to that passage we just read. I wonder if we ever distract others from worshiping. I wonder if uh, note writing, whispering distracts others from really worshiping. I wonder if hypocritical lives make it different for others around us to concentrate on what they're supposed to be doing. I wonder if what people see us doing out there, and then they see us here, makes it feel like they can't come to God. I'm not saying you're completely responsible whether or not someone else worships, but we do have a part to play in it, as we can see there. God did not set you up to judge if someone else is worshiping or not. I remember in high school, we would do that. We'd say, did you see how that person was singing or not singing? Did you see how they just sat down in the middle of the song? Because we thought you had to go through and do it just like that. And in fact, we delight in polarizing. Our whole country and culture is all about polarizing. We delight in making... Uh, us who have it right versus them who have it wrong. We love to figure out if someone is right or wrong. We spend way too much time trying to, to know the heart by what's on the outside. And we are wrong in it. And Jesus is saying, quit making it so hard for people to come to God. 
We can play a part in encouraging others to worship. We can choose to walk out this door and not complain about the song choices or the preaching. We can choose not to grumble. We can choose not to question the motives of other worshipers. We can choose to worship for ourselves and just hope that others do as well. How you worship affects others. How you worship truly affects others. Because if you are doing it fake, it's wrong. But when people see a broken person who authentically worships God, then they know I can come to God too. And we need to quit making them go through hoops to look as good as we think we need to be. You can make it harder for people to worship or you can make it easier. You can be a stumbling block for them or you can be a stepping stone to lift them higher. So we've got to quit making it so hard to come to God and worship. There's another thing we can see in this passage, and worship is not meant to be made too easy. So I just talked about how we can't make it hard, but here's the opposite. Jesus came in and he's looking around at everything and how convenient everything was. According to this process that they were doing at this time, you were supposed to take animals for sacrifice. You were supposed to raise the animal yourself and pick the best one and give that to God. But instead, we have a buffet line of choices for you to choose from. Just come on in and we've got this lamb here. You don't like that one? It's a little short? Well, here you go. This one's taller and it's the perfect lamb for you. Beyond that, we've got the doves. We've got the calves. We even have money. You can't use foreign money, so we're going to change this money and make it real easy for you. Step right up, folks. That's really what they were doing. For the pilgrim who was coming to God, it wasn't much of a sacrifice. Hey, we forgot the lamb. Don't worry, they've got plenty there. I, I forgot to bring our offering. That's okay, we can pick one up on the way. The sellers and the money changers made worship almost pain-free. It was a religion that was way too easy. They were making it so easy for people to come to God. The Jews could stroll up, buy a dove, and enter. When the Gentiles saw this, there was no need to care for, to take care of animals who were needed for sacrifice. You could just go buy one that didn't really bother you. It didn't cost them anything. It was convenient. There was no effort in it. We need to understand that back then, people would make their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem at Passover to make these required sacrifices. And since many of them came from great distances, as a convenience, they just purchased these animals, and they wouldn't have to take any of their own. They had five different markets to choose from, four on Mount of Olives and one in the temple complex of the court of Gentiles. William Barclay said this, Nearly everyone who came to the temple brought an offering. You buy doves outside the temple, but the priests had appointed temple inspectors, and they would be certain to find a flaw in any animal that you brought so that you could just buy one from the temple itself and they could help pocket some of that money. They were making it so easy, you don't need to bring anything. We've taken care of your sacrifice for you. And because of that, the court has become a thoroughfare. People loaded with merchandise were taking shortcuts through it from other parts of the city. They didn't care about things. It was just a foyer now instead of part of worship. One historian noted that at Passover, in AD 66, the worshipers required an estimated 
255,600 lambs in one Passover. The merchants and money changers prevented Gentiles from worshiping God because they're making it so easy for the Jews. And Jesus is trying to say something here. Sometimes what Jesus says, have you ever been confused by what Jesus says? Sometimes he says it this way and then he says it like this and you're like, which way do you mean, Jesus? And really, he's trying to tell us both sides. Look at this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, come, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. So you don't have to work. I will do it all. And then you read the next verse. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. But I'm also going to give you something to do. You don't, you're tired of doing stuff? Come to me, and I'll give you something to do. It's this, what do you mean, Jesus? There's two different ways here. He says, I'm going to make it lighter and easier for you to come. But look what he says in 7, 13, and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. The gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Right here he's saying it is very hard to get into heaven. You want an easy, you're, you're struggling, I will give you a lighter load, but you're going to have to work hard to be on the life, the path into heaven. He says, uh, Jesus also says, I've told you these things so that you can trust in me and have peace. This world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've come overcome the world. Later, he'll say, for many are invited, but few are chosen. To the woman caught in adultery, he simply told her to stop sinning and go. To the rich young ruler, he said, get rid of everything and follow me. Sometimes if we just take certain passages, it looks like he's contradicting himself. Paul said that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But Peter said it's hard for a righteous person, if you do all these things, to be saved. So what do we do? It starts going back and forth. What all of this is trying to say at times, the Christian life is a struggle and a challenge the whole way. If you are coming to Christ wanting just an easy... So I like going to um, theme parks, at least I did before my back surgery. I love the big roller coasters, right? The ones that flip you and twist you and turn you and it's going all crazy. You know which one my wife likes? Those old Model T cars that you sit in it. You don't even have to touch the steering wheel because it just hits that thing and just and it's going super slow. I'm like, oh, it's boring. It's slow. But I think many times that's what we want in church, in our faith. We just want to sit here and not do anything. And when really Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can't have it too easy. You can't make it too hard, but you can't have it that easy either. The next thing, uh, the next slide is going to say this, and I want you to hear this. Worship, real worship. Is costly. They were making it so easy for the Jews that it wasn't real worship. There's a story in the Old Testament. David sinned by numbering the people of Israel and God stretched forth his hand and a plague of judgment came and was held off when David built an altar on the threshing floor of Ornan, 
Ornan offered to give this land to David. But look what he says, 1 Chronicles 21. But King David replied to that guy, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. David is saying, if it doesn't cost me, if it's not a sacrifice of me, then it's not worship. It's not worthy of going to God. Religion made way too easy is not good. Religion made too hard also is not good. Worship that costs nothing. If you just come in, stroll and sing a song and go on and and don't really put anything into it, it is empty. If you make all these roads and obstacles so that people have to climb and meet all these standards just to get to God, it's too hard and it means nothing. Faith that never gets the fly or faith that gets stifled by others is always wrong. And we can't go on these outside paths. Instead, we need to come to the one. John 4.23, but a time is coming, Jesus said. To the, this is the woman at the well. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. What do we need to worship Him in? It's right there. Two things. What? Spirit and truth. Okay? When Jesus changes out the, uh, chases out the money changers and all those selling the animals, He did not stop people from selling them. That was the really interesting thing. He just said, don't do it in here. But get worship back to what it's meant to be. It's not about making it easy to come to God. It's about worshiping in spirit. It's not about making it difficult to come and worship. It's about God. And the spirit of worship is sacrifice. And the truth of worship is God. Only God. It's about sacrifice of what it is. Here, uh, worship means we're acknowledging that we need God. When you truly see God, that's when you will break into worship. And you truly see Him when you realize, I need Him. He's so much bigger and stronger than I am. That we need a Savior. We are inadequate. We have to sacrifice our wants, our times, our talents for the purposes of giving God glory and honor. I was talking to a few people this morning, and I'm not going to say that she thinks she sits in the third row, which is the holiest row, and her husband's name is Rod. I'm not going to say who it is. But there are some people who are not morning people, right? And she's like, yes. There are other, And there are some people who think 10 o'clock is just way too early to come and worship. Wouldn't it be better at like 1.30? You know, after we had breakfast and a nap and lunch, that's nap time again. Yeah. Well, you sleep in my sermons anyways. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't. He doesn't. At least not with his eyes closed, he doesn't. But there's something, it, it's just, oh, it's too early. There was a church, we were, they were talking about going to two services. And they were going to start the first service at 8.30. Yeah. No. <laughs> And here's what some of the people said. If you love Jesus, you would come. Shots fired. That's right. And they said, if you love me, you wouldn't do that. There are times that it's just uncomfortable 
Sometimes it's a little cold for some of you in here. I think you're all nuts because I'm sweating. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But is worship, is this time coming together about you and I feeling comfortable? Is this about the songs that, oh, they just speak to me and they make me feel good? If that's what we're doing here, go home. Because it's not worship. Not worship of Him. It's worship of us. And if we make it too easy, we've lost the spirit which is sacrifice that I am giving of myself. I am giving of my time, my devotion, my energies to make sure God knows that I love Him and adore Him. That is the spirit of worship. And we've got to quit making it so easy. It's a sacrifice of us. But we also have to make sure it's not too hard. Then we're making sure you got to do it like this. You got to do it like this. You got to do it like this. And oh, whoa. You didn't double knot your shoelaces. So, oh, sorry. You can't come and worship God. We make all these dumb rules that you got to do this or this and this. And then it's acceptable for God. Worship is meant about coming to the absolute truth, sacrificing ourselves, but then the absolute truth that when I worship God, when I truly worship God, you know who I see? Only God. And when I am truly worshiping God, I don't see any of you. Because I'm focused on Him. And if I'm truly worshiping God, then that farmer could be sitting right next to me because I'm not going to notice. Because I'm focusing on God. It's not that hard. It is only on God. It's not about building, clothing, worship, order. You know there are people who argue about what's in a bulletin? About the order of worship? I'm not kidding. There have been church fights that you didn't do an opening song and then a prayer and then a thank, howdy duty time, and then we got... Yeah, I just belittled it, I know. How dare you flip the service around? It's not about the building, clothing, worship order. It's not even about Sunday morning. It is only about God. And I want to say something on that. If you are not worshiping God all week, good chance you're not really worshiping Him on one day a week either. Because the truth is, God seeks that every day from us. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. How seriously do you take your worship? Now, I, I, I want to admit something real quick. Some people have a gift of worship. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the people who can just belt out a song and they just sound great and, and they can start harmonizing. And that. I'm not talking music style. I'm talking how serious is it? Does it come so easily for you that there's no stretching in it, though? Are you the same person you were 12 months ago after worshiping God? Because the life of faith doesn't actually involve becoming new and different, better you. It's about God. Is your life of worship a distraction for others who are trying to live the life? Does your worship cost you anything? 
Do you find it a challenge to live up to what God wants? And do you come to church when you don't even feel like it? Do you press on in your Bible reading even when you're tired and exhausted? Do you do what's right even when it has an expense attached to it? How serious do you take your worship? The second main question, are you burdened with foolish man-made or self-inflicted rules about do's and don'ts that you lose sight of looking at God? Is your desire to be with the Holy God stuffed out by the by any breath of fresh air that you just feel like you could never attain it, that you could never come close because you're never going to be worthy enough? That Does your life become a stumbling block to others wanting to reach out and grow closer because you are just in this miserable state because you don't come into His presence? Is it too easy or is it too hard? That's not the end of this event. Let's look what how it, this event ended. Starting verse 17. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture. Passion for God's house will consume me. Remember, it's not the building. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He is not talking physical building. What, they exclaimed? It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. It wasn't until after the truth and the sacrifice, it wasn't until after the spirit of Jesus and the truth of Jesus came out boldly after the cross and the empty tomb that the disciples realized this is what worship is supposed to be about. It's about Jesus. It's about coming to Him, letting go of all this world, and just stopping all the rules and regulations. But it's also about coming to Him and knowing that I'm going to pour out. It's a sacrifice of me to Him. And that's when they saw it. It's not about century-old traditions. It's not about the temple building. It's about God and us. The disciples understood that true worship is costly, that it's empty unless they gave, that they gave themselves to the holiness of God. This whole temple cleansing had nothing to do with trying to help people get to God. It was them making it too hard or way too easy. I want you to hear something. God is ready and willing for you to come as you are. Nothing, especially us, should hinder that. If you want to come to God, we want you to know right now He's ready. If you've already come to God, are you sacrificing yourself? Are you giving and showing Him how much He is, how He means to you? How much you love and care for Him? Are you sacrificing of yourself to show Him how holy He is? Church, we can't just do one. We have to move into both. So I'm going to say something. I didn't plan this. If I have hindered any of you in your worship because of how I said or, or sang or acted, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I took the direction off of God and onto me. 
And I, I will work not to do that again. I've hindered you. I've made it too easy that you could just show up here at, at 10 o'clock and put you in your time and get a check mark and go home. Then I apologize to God for putting the point on us instead of Him. What about us? What about the rest of us? We're going to stand, we're going to sing the song, but before we do, the cost of worship is giving Him everything that's in you. Everything that is in you. And so I don't want you just to say the words. I want you to just hum. I want you to make sure that if you go through this next part of worship, that you mean it. Get ready for that. Let's pray. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we come before you. And Lord, so many times we just misuse the whole idea of what worship is. God, forgive us for that. And Lord, right now, I just ask that you would just sweep into this place, that we would know you are here. And God, restore that relationship Help us to see clearly about the, the truth and the spirit of what your worship that you desire, what it truly is. Clarify that in our minds and in our hearts so that we can not just do it on Sunday morning, but that could become a lifestyle all week long. And God, may this prayer move right into song and always be part of that worship to who you are. And in your name we pray and sing. Amen.